So, Carly, have you ever been curling? I have not. Joe? No. But Has anybody like been curling? No. Unfortunately, no. no. Just watch it on TV. We watch a lot of it in the Olympics, though. It's always, it's always seems to be like the hot thing. Everyone watches curling. Everyone gets into it during the Olympics, and then they all say they're going to go do it. I always wonder how many people actually go do it. It seems easy, but I know it, it can't be as easy as it looks. I don't know. Just rolling a stone on some ice. Sweeping away. Right, I'm, not, but I'm not real good on ice, so I there's got to be more to it. Yeah, we're going to cover that. I don't think you're real good on, on concrete either. <laughs> so well, that'll come later later in, in the episode. But we, we are going to talk to someone who did watch the Olympics once and think curling was cool and then went and did it. Oh, and by the way, she is Michigan's first state treasurer. Who is a woman? She Who's is a woman. the first one ever. <laughs> right, that part. The first Who woman. is a woman? Thanks, Joe. The books are so out of the control. Nicest yeah. She's the first years. one ever. The first one. Rachel Eubanks, Michigan State Treasurer on the Cold Opium Podcast. Yep, I got it all. We got it. So your What do you want to do now? Was why don't we do this at the beginning of the Kurt episode? Okay. We'll put get Kurt put Kurt to bed. Nighty night, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> There's the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. That was incredibly creepy. <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his desk. It's, it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, it's there's like nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it. But it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your see that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, welcome back to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This has been, it's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, we got curling. We got state treasurers. We got Laura's um, high-speed chase with police officers into a township lot packed in to this episode. So buckle up. Buckle up. Literally. Were you buckled Literally. at least? I was buckled. Whatever. Oh, man. Scofflaw. This is Matt Resch, owner of Resch Strategies. We're a public affairs and a public relations firm in downtown Lansing, Michigan. And we bring you this little cold oatmeal podcast every other Thursday. You can find it on our website, uh, reststrategies.com. Also, all of our uh, social handles. You can follow us at Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Resch Strategies. And, of course, the cold oatmeal podcast has its own little persona on the Twitters at cold oatmeal pod. Got through it? Good job. Good Carly? job. Who's, who's clean. here with me? Carly Buell. Commissioner Heaton. <laughs> Laura Beal. That's new. Nikki O'Mara. Joe Beshi. Mr. Nick DeLue will also be joining us for our conversation with uh, Rachel Eubanks, who is the first female state treasurer of the state of Michigan. Um, she's going to be our guest on this on this episode. I didn't, lots of questions I didn't know. I mean, I've worked in state government for a long time. Didn't really know what the state treasurer did, but we will learn. And we also find out that she's an expert curler. Mm-hmm. We found out she doesn't decide what happens to all the money we give her. Yeah, Chris the, Harkins. Takes yeah, that's it. the most. That's the most scary part of this podcast was to find out that Chris Harkins figures out tells us where the money goes. Fuck. How's that? How's that ever happen? Anyway, whose idea was that? Good Jeez. question. <laughs> Good question. Way to go, Harkins. We're doomed. Anyway, 
Rachel Eubanks. So, Rachel Eubanks, the Michigan State Treasurer, welcome to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are, I think, you are our second constitutional state officer to be on the podcast. Do you want to take a wild guess who our, who our first one was? I'm going to guess Attorney General Nessel. No, no, <laughs> Mr. Brian Kelly. We, oh. had, we had we had Brian on, but Brian was on about six minutes before he was done being <laughs> lieutenant governor. So he really didn't have a lot to lose at that point. He was, I think, there was wasn't much to do. I think did his part. episode air while he was still in office? I think it did, but okay. I think like the boxes were packed. He was pretty much <laughs> didn't have a lot left going on then. So Brian, he was happy to to come over and do it. But no, it's great to have you have you on here. Thank you, and credit to you for knowing that treasurer is a constitutional officer. Well, so you got some bonus points there. I, I've 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 served some time in the state government. I <laughs> I, I, I know, yeah. So. Um, for those, who, and I'll put myself in this category, we'll start here at the basics. What does the state treasurer do? Yeah, it's a great question. So the Department of Treasury actually has one of the most broadest set of responsibilities out of any treasury in the country, one of the biggest departments that focus on all of the centralized financial functions for state government. So we serve as everything from, I mean, everyone thinks of us as taxes, um, which is a big chunk of what we do. You know, we collect, you know, seven, eight million tax returns a year, which translates to billions, tens of billions of dollars in revenues that, you know, obviously go to pay the state's budget. But like I like to say, our motto should be, we're not just taxes. We do a lot more <laughs> than that. We also serve as the state's checking account. So any kind of payments that come in and out, that's a big part of it. We handle any student loan or uh, grants financial aid, anything kind of helping people go to college through savings or grants. Um, we serve as the state's point of contact with Wall Street and the rating agencies. We also have responsibility of local government financial oversight, and we invest the pension systems uh, about $120 billion overall of you know retiree assets, so whether that's state employees or school teachers, um, legislative, judicial, police, that kind of thing. So we do a lot of different things. So you, you, we're probably covering this, but I had it written down here as a question. What is the one thing that you think people would be the most surprised to learn that the Department of Treasury does? Unclaimed property, I think. That always gets tons of attention. Yeah, it does. It's it's not very often you get to play the government version of Oprah, you know, giving out <laughs> money, giving money back. You get 13 cents. You get 13 cents. You know, it's funny. I'll have the unclaimed property come with me to events if I'm speaking, and they'll set up in the back, and I'll challenge the audience to go and check their files, and people will leave with $10,000. Oh, my I mean, goodness. It's, it's a how does that How asset. does that happen? How does someone not know that they, they're owed that money, or where does that money come? Is it, is it a tax return they never got or didn't claim? What's It's not just state government things. It's related to, you know, existing bank accounts or, you know, bills that you may have overpaid. So there's a lot of different things that go into there. It's just a legislative function that we have. We bring it all in and try to get back out to people, find their rightful owners. So why don't we why don't we make some people happy? Where where do they go to is there a website for that? Yeah, well you can start from our the website, Michigan.gov slash treasury. Okay. There's a tile right there for unclaimed property. I would love if some people as a result of this podcast <laughs> okay. found some of their property. Okay, cold <laughs> podcast is, Let us know we, we've made your day. Go. Yeah. Go and you can that. search you can search for yourself. You can search for your family members. It's not just you know, not just you. I did that. My sister in law found like twenty bucks. Yeah. Yeah, from a an old insurance policy. Well, yeah. Chad Livengood, the the reporter at Cranes, often will do. It's like a, I think he just does it for the clicks and the likes, but he will he will put that link out there and try to get people to, to do it. And he'll, he'll <laughs> he goes. In, there was a while he was going and finding money for people. Like he would stick people's names in and find money and then tweet about it. So, <laughs> thank you, Chad. There you go. <laughs> so, um, wondering what maybe you did this, but when you were going through school and high school mm -hmm. and college, did you think? 
I want to be the state treasurer. <laughs> you, no, that was not on my radar. <laughs> Definitely not. And in general, I think financial fields are not on the mindset of most high school students. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought I wanted to do everything that most high school kids wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a doctor or, you know, a veterinarian or something like that. And uh, when I started my undergrad education at U of M, I tried to take, you know, the the basic science classes and got to about organic chemistry and realized that was not for me. <laughs> um, so when I switched gears, you know, I knew I really liked economics. Um, that was a big piece of it. What's I liked about that versus kind of traditional business school is that it has this kind of public component to it. I mean, really, the study of economics is, is how we distribute uh, scarce resources. And that's really what, you know, the public life is, and especially doing something financial in state government. So um, for me, that's kind of what piqued my interest. And I started um, after that in actually public finance, so doing bond issues for local units of government. And that's where the uh, Department of Treasury became one of my clients and where I kind of got familiar with how the department, how it works, and of course the role of state treasurer. Okay. Now you took a little bit of a, a left turn there though, because you became a utility regulator. I did. Right? When you, so I'm curious, what was, uh, you know, Governor Snyder appointed you the, the Michigan Public Service Commissioner as one of the commissioners. There are three, right? Yeah. Um, that's regulating and overseeing electric utilities, all of, you know, telecom, all, all this kind of stuff. That's not finance. How did that happen? Well, I think or people would be finance? surprised to know how much finance is involved in yeah. the utility world. I mean, utilities are one of the most capital intensive industries out there. I mean, you know, your DTEs and your consumers and even, you know, municipal utilities here like the Board of Water and Light in Lansing. I mean, they all invest billions of dollars in, you know, their generation facilities and their distribution facilities. And that requires them to, you know, issue capital in various forms. So um, what the, mostly the Public Service Commission does, their big function that everyone thinks about are what they call rate cases. So setting, you know, um, the rates that everyone pays for their electricity or natural gas service primarily. Um, and, you know, when you look at, when you peel back the piece of it, I mean, that commission goes through every single detail of every component that the utility is requesting. And a large chunk of those expenditures are capital related. So, um, you know, in the, fun the, the process of doing that is also very similar to a financial analysis. So even though, you know, the energy world wasn't uh, my background, that those all those other pieces of it were. So I learned how the electrons flow flowed. <laughs> and after that, it was, you know, not that different than the rest of my financial background. Shows what you know. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, a good fair point. No, assumption. Yeah. 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 Do you have a between comparing the two jobs, you know, being a in the finance of state treasurer versus the PSC was is there something you liked better than over one over the other? Uh, well, I mean, I should say being state treasurer was always kind of my dream and where I'd always hoped to to be. I did not envision that I would be a public service commissioner. That was a little bit, as you said, mm -hmm. a, a left turn uh, in my career path. But I think, you know, learning how those systems work, which are really the backbone of our society, you know, I think if you cut electric service or natural gas service or, um, you know, telecommunications, uh, you know, we wouldn't function very well. And it's incredibly important and it's incredibly complicated. And learning those things and how they work have benefited me in so many different ways. You know, I, I drive an electric vehicle. I had to figure out how all that worked. And I had a nice uh, step up here from my background at the commission. So I was thinking about women in STEM roles. It's Women's History Month. And I was driving in this morning and I was thinking about when I was in college, the president of Harvard gave a speech in which he talked about how women are biologically inferior to men. I don't know if anyone remembers that. My jaw just dropped. Um, I know we're... It was, <laughs> it was, was pretty terrible. Where did you go to school? 
Western. Okay. It was it was a huge ordeal, right? So he's he gave a speech and he said, "Well, we've learned that women really can't do math and science as men can." Um, it was pretty horrible. So, do you feel comfortable telling us about a time when you feel like you were underestimated during your career that kind of made you be like, "Well, this isn't fair, and I'm going to overcome this." I, I mean. It's hard to pick one time because it just happens so often. Uh, You know, I think being a woman in a in these kind of technical fields that I've been, whether they're in finance or you know in in some type of science, um, yeah, you are a minority, and there are definitely preconceived notions about what you're able to do because of your gender, and it's discouraging. You know, there's many times where I really felt like I couldn't do it, and I didn't have what it took to do it. Um, and you know, I, I was always hesitant about sharing that sentiment, but now I feel like I have to share it because I think a lot of women feel that same way and, you know, validating that and saying, Hey, you're not alone in feeling that way. And furthermore, you can overcome it, um, is in my mind, incredibly powerful. I mean, when I saw women in those roles thinking there's no way that she ever doubted herself. Well, you know, most of us have in our careers or maybe we do currently. Um, and you know, it's, I think one of those things where, um, you have to put yourself out there and be a little scared um, and, you know, be in, in rooms and situations where um, you are uncomfortable because that's how you're going to advance and push through. So you asked me about a specific situation. So, you know, um, when I served as a vendor to the department of which I now lead, um, you know, I would go into these, you know, high profile meetings with credit rating agencies and sit in a conference room and I would be the only one that looked like me. Um, and that's pretty uncomfortable. And, you know, when I look at that now and think about, okay, so now that that same conference room is my conference room and I get to decide who sits there. And I try to make sure that we are really representative of who we are serving because I know that that's how we're going to do our best work. So, um, I think that's really how you ask me how I persevere. I think I try to persevere through, you know, realizing that this is something bigger than me. And then when I get to places, try to make the space for others to, to join me. I'm wondering, we're, we're approaching tax season, or we're, we're in we're tax, tax, it's, it's tax yeah, day is right. coming, I guess I should say. We're, we're two years out of when everything shut down. What was, what was April, what were March, April like at the Department of Treasury when state government shut down? Yeah. It, um, it, I think for every entity that um, is managing any large organization, it was incredibly scary. I mean, first of all, the first thing you care about is the health and safety of your employees, and they're your responsibility. And you want to make sure, you know, at the time when we didn't know very much about that virus, how could they be impact- impacted? Is it something if someone got it, would we have our entire department that would be impacted? And that was something that weighed on my decision heavily. Uh, and we got instruction from, you know, from the Office of State Employer that said, you know, try to maximum telework. And that there are some functions where that worked out pretty seamlessly you know we had they could take their laptops home do basically their same function and they kind of carried on like it was you know a normal day uh where we really struggled and had to think creatively was for the staff that are doing the functions like processing tax returns answering phone calls interacting with taxpayers where they had equipment that was you know um, within our our walls that they needed Um, And so, you know, we first, we took care of them, we got them home. Then secondly, we tried to figure out how can we get these systems back up and running as quickly as possible. I mean, we have 
something like 15 call centers. They were all down for a little while. We had to figure out how to bring them up. And um, we just did it. We just chipped away at it little by little. You know, we figured, okay, well, these 800 staff don't have laptop computers, which seems a little absurd, but they didn't. Um, and, you know, okay, we're going to get wireless cards for those, and we're going to roll them out and have those take the big desktop computers home. We're going to, you know, figure out how to hook up, you know, a, a, an actual landline phone and through the Internet to bring those call centers back up. And we chipped away at them, you know, one at a time until we could get to about 100% functionality. We were only down um, about two weeks when we were actually going through that transition, which was really something. And once we got through that, you know, we brought it back up and people were just invigorated. I mean, the amount of productivity increase, we caught up on what we hadn't done during those two weeks very quickly. And then fortunately, you know, the IRS had shifted the uh, deadline to July 15th in sure. 2020. Uh, and it, for us, we have to align with what the IRS does. Right. So for we knew we had those extra months, but we didn't. I mean, that was nice to know we had that. We didn't really need it. In fact, most taxpayers didn't use the additional three months. Most most taxpayers still got them in by April. So um, we got back up and running pretty quickly. Because how many people, and this is maybe just an old way of thinking about this, and I'll date myself, but how many people still mail their tax returns in like physical? Someone's got to be there to open that mail, right? And look at it and pull out the check and do that stuff. And it's a great question. So about 15% of our tax returns come in via paper, about 85% e-file. It's not just the tax returns that come in. There's, you know, additional documentation requests that we bring in and, you know, payments that come in via check. So you're right. The mail office was one of the few ones that we could not work remotely uh, just there wasn't any other way to do it so we ended up being 95 or 96 percent remote and the majority of that remaining component was in the mailroom doing those type of tasks and it was hard it was hard for them I think they um, struggled through that but they kept doing their jobs we tried to accommodate them the best that we can I always you know when we talk about them and um, their role. I when I look back and think about the department, I mean, they're really the heroes of what we were able to do because they stayed and and got everything done, and we continued operating. Are there other processes different now, two years later, than that you learned or modified or updated because of all of that? Yes. How is, how is TaxGate going to be different this year? Well, it's I don't know that it's that much different externally, but internally, we've shifted a lot of our processes electronic, and these were uh, continuous improvement projects that we were undertaking anyway but they were of course accelerated because when you can't just you know interdepartment mail a you know a document for a taxpayer to some other area uh, you get creative about how to do that and so we had we shifted a lot of people to actually imaging a lot of the documentation and uploading that and that is a uh, a process that I don't think pandemic or not that we're going to go back to we're going to continue to try to chip away at those electronic processes it's just a win-win you know we we're more efficient at operating you know it's less likely that we're going to lose things it's more taxpayer friendly and of course you know you save a tree or two so it's not mm-hmm. such a bad thing all the way around I maybe you have the answer to this maybe you don't but I, I've noticed a shift even in this, the timeliness of the returns has anybody else noticed like it used to be the state treasury would be the last return I would get <laughs> when I'd file. I, federal would come in from the e-file like in a week, and the city of Lansing was pretty responsive, but the state would take But now the state's like, boom, like a week after your e-file, I've got the, the check. Maybe it's just me. I, I'm getting blank looks, except from the treasurer, who seems to be happy about this news. <laughs> uh, you know, that is our goal. Our goal is to turn around these returns as quickly as possible, especially for individuals that are getting refunds. You know, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are most likely to, to file early. And um, we work hard to try to get the straightforward ones processed quickly. And we know, you know, the average refund's about five hundred dollars. 
we know that, you know, people may need the, that money. So we try very hard to turn that around. And I appreciate that you had a good experience. <laughs> Did you bring our tax refunds with you? <laughs> <laughs> I already got so mine. Really <laughs> Is everybody back at work? I, I mean, physically back mm-hmm. together. So we've been transitioning back to our physical office space since about July. And we started with a top-down approach. So, you know, myself, the deputy levels, really senior management in the department, we came back first. We brought kind of, kind of the mid-tier level back second. We had a little bit of a pause. We went through Delta and then Omicron. Um, it, this is in alignment with Office of State Employer Guidance. But by, you know, kind of some early spring, summer, um, we will have back the groups that are going to return. We're going to not return the way that we were. I don't think many organizations are ever going to go back to, you know, that five day a week process, especially now that you've learned what you can do remotely. Um, but, you know, that in-person component is really important. It's really important to build teams, to uh, have a chance to break down silos, to have better engagement with our stakeholders. And so that in-person time is really important. We are right now uh, on a two-day schedule. We'll be phasing up to a three-day schedule. Uh, and then we're going to just review it continuously to make sure that we're still meeting our goals. Well, the team probably likes that, too. You know, I think... Um, the, I mean, the mix is nice because we, we experience that here, too. I mean, we've got great flexibility. Matt's a wonderful boss. Thanks, Matt. Um, <laughs> we, we've got good... Fle- you Anytime. Know, we're, we're, in t- we're in together sometimes, and sometimes yeah. we're working from home, and I found that really wonderful. It's I, a nice mix. I get my mm-hmm. fix of these people, and then... For yeah, one he couldn't day, for deal with us for five days. I'm, yeah. I'm here like four days now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> What's your take on downtown Lansing? That's been a topic of... Kind of because state employees have been such a huge economic driver of activity down here. Um, and as a business in downtown Lansing, still still not close to what it was. But I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are on that one. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, we've got oversight over the financial health of local units of government. And right. where that's something that we're watching very closely to see how their revenues are impacted. You know, in the, the governor's fiscal year 23 proposed budget, she includes a line for a $40 million um, assistance local governments that have seen economic impacts. I mean, we know it's not just... Um, you know, the state employees working remote, it's that's impacting in- income taxes, that it's, you know, the, the other businesses, too. And so I think recognizing that that's, um, you know, there's less restaurant visits, there's less dry cleaning visits, there's there's less cafe visits. And how does that impact the bottom line of these communities, which is why I think she sought to seek out um, assistance for them. So while I don't think we've seen, you know, a dire and draconian shift in revenues to date. I think it's something that we're monitoring very closely and trying to be proactive in helping them plan for those things. You mentioned revenues, and I don't want to <clears throat> geek out on this, but I was thinking about this before. We have, The state has more money now than it knows what to, how to spend. I mean, that's my editorial opinion. But between the ARP stuff and all the stuff from the feds, we got a lot of money. But we've also got a lot of money because you know, tax returns have been higher, correct? I mean, there's a lot of state, there's a lot of money coming in from state taxes as opposed to, I think people think a lot of this is just federal stimulus COVID dollars. But things have been, in revenues have been up in other state taxes as well, which I think flies in the face of what a lot of people think is, oh, COVID, economic downturn, shutdowns, and but revenue increased during that time. Am I wrong about that? That's, You're right. You wh- are where right. is that money coming from? Well, it's, at the end of the day, it's probably indirectly from the federal stimulus. You know, okay. we've spent, our economists have spent a lot of time uh, forecasting this and trying to understand what's going on. Um, but when you compare the economic activity 
uh, as it relates to economic fundamentals like the unemployment rate or labor force participation rates, the amount of revenue is far exceeding our economic fundamentals. And when you peel that back and you think about what is the difference there, I think a, a lot of that difference is related to the federal stimulus money. I mean, there was a lot of money that came in. You know, the first round of CARES dollars brought in over $40 billion into Michigan between the stimulus checks, the pandemic unemployment assistance, that extra $600 in unemployment assistance people were receiving, uh, as well as the Paycheck Protection Program, which was a, a, a program for businesses. Um, and that increased the amount of uh, personal income that was available for our state to the most since, I think, the 40s. I mean, the, the amount of increase mm-hmm. that had happened. And that really points to the amount of government stimulus that came in. And when people shifted their behaviors, you know, you went from you know maybe spending a lot of your disposable income from going to the theater or, you know, taking a vacation on a plane to some, you know, faraway place. Um, those behaviors shifted and people started instead improving their homes, right? I mean, if you went in the peak of the pandemic, if you tried to buy a two by four from Home Depot, you know, good luck, right? A lot of that behavior did shift to some of the durable goods, which then propped up a lot of the, um, the you know, sales tax collections in particular, which is obviously, you know, most services, there's not a sales tax collection, which is which explains a lot of what you said. Um, but in general, you know, there's um, the pandemic has been devastating for some businesses, um, which is obviously heartbreaking. But on the other hand, it's been, you know, profitable for other businesses and other businesses have seen additional income and individuals have seen additional income from it, which is then reflected in things like the individual income tax and the corporate income tax collections. Is it scary balancing the checkbook for 10 million people? So fortunately, you know, um, the way that Michigan is organized is there's no kind of chief financial officer that looks at kind of both sides of the ledger. Um, Both myself and um, the director of the state budget office, Director Harkins, Budget Director Harkins, um, we are cabinet level positions. Sorry to interrupt you. Chris Harkins has been a cold oatmeal podcast guest. (laughs) But he's not a constitutional (laughs) officer. But not a constitutional, and he shouldn't be. Anyone who's met Chris, he should not be a constitutional (laughs) officer. Director Harkins is wonderful and highly qualified to serve in his role. So um, we, we... kind of serve different sides of that equation, the same equation. So, you know, I kind of handle the the revenue forecasting and tax collection side, and he handles the expenditure side. Um, so it's definitely, it's a team approach to have that, um, you know, kind of two perspectives looking at things. And I think it's a, it's a healthy relationship and making sure um, as a state fundamentally that, you know, first we start with the revenues. The revenues are what they are. We project them and that is the story that they then create the budget from. Whereas, you know, maybe trying to make the revenues what you want them to be for the budget to to work. Um, so it's a huge responsibility, but it's wonderful that I've got such tremendous staff and such a tremendous partner in the state budget office to take on that that important function. So do you surprise him at CREC? Like, hey, here's how much money. <laughs> We have, or do you tell him beforehand? He comes, by the way. So out of the, you know, there's the four principal, there are three principals that attend, and then plus uh, the budget director usually attends. So he's he's right there all along. Um, you know, the the process is as it plays out in the CRAC is is what happens. You know, we all have our internal estimates. They come together you know, decently close to when the conference actually is. I mean, for example, the uh, the May conference, which this year is May 20th, not to put a plug out there, but it's May 20th if you want to watch. Um, the, the first ever plug for the, <laughs> the, the revenue estimating conference. And I think, it's Anna, a good watch. You need to, like, before you draw us into, the, like, C-Rex, can you, Sorry. Like, tell people what the heck you're talking Consensus about? Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's on everyone's calendar now. May twentieth. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed. Sorry, Thank Madam. Thank you. Sorry. Carly's gonna get up and leave. In a minute. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what's, what's a checkbook? How, what's balancing a checkbook? <laughs> but the single most important data point for that May conference are our income tax collections, which come in. You know, everyone as we talked about April fifteenth, right? And so we, you know, that's millions of returns that are coming in, and so we are, you know, sifting through all that data just in time for that conference. So you know, we have our, you know, estimates. The House and Senate, they fiscal agents they do the same thing um you know we we come together you know the day of the conference and we decide um kind of where what is that agreed number going to be um so you know it's it's there's not a lot of time to give people a lot of heads up you should ask chris well next time you see him about his his time as a cameo as a, a voice actor on the podcast and <laughs> he's got a great radio voice i'm not surprised that he was a voice actor maybe that will be his next job well i think he did it he did it once and that was <laughs> that was with us as part of the podcast um so part of looking at your at your bio you you get to serve on some really exciting sounding boards <laughs> And I want like seven, at least seventeen of these commissions, right? Oh I, I'm not sure how you do, how you have time to come even talk to us with, with all of these things. But like the stream during the CREC, she sleeps. Yeah, the streamlined <laughs> sales tax and use tax governing board, Michigan Legislative Retirement System, Michigan Early Stage Venture Investment Corporation board. These sound like a hoot. Which <laughs> which one has the best meetings? Oh, the best meetings. Most fun. Which one has the most fun meetings? You know, um. It, all of these boards are really different and they serve different constituencies and serve different roles. And within that world, they're all incredibly important. And with every vote, change public policy. I mean, you know, one of the, some of the other boards I serve on are the MISHTA board. So the Housing um, Development Agency or the Michigan Strategic Fund, which deals with economic development or the State of Michigan Investment Board, which, you know, serves as a fiduciary of the $120 billion of state um, retiree assets that we're talking about. Every single one of those things makes a real difference in people's lives. Um, and I don't, you know, ever, uh, whether it's that role or at the, you know, over a thousand orders I voted on at the commission, I never forget that. I mean, every vote that we take has a real meaningful impact in someone's life. And because of that, they're, I, I think they're all interesting. Um, as far as which would make the best viewing, I, I'm not sure I could answer that. You'd have to ask this, you know, a neutral party. Who has the best, who has the best snacks? <laughs> you will watch yeah. one of each and report back, right? Yes, we'll do that. Which one are you on? Municipal Finance Authority. Okay, yes, our, our own our own commissioner here. The, I, mean, yeah. so, I don't so. think I have that title. Is that you don't get to be called a commissioner? I don't think so. <laughs> She's a board member. member. Board member. Yeah. So we call her Member Heaton. <laughs> member Heaton. There you go. Now we can say, oh, good morning, no. Member Heaton. <laughs> Welcome to work. Carly, do you serve on any boards? No. Commissions? No. Task maybe, forces? Maybe one day, but probably not. Okay. I'll let you know. All right. Say yes if you do. <laughs> and, and rather, I mean, honestly, the first board I served on was the Board of Michigan Women in Finance, going back to women's issues. And that was an incredibly important uh, learning ground for me managerially. I mean, you know, you, you're you making real important decisions. You're, um, you know, running meetings. You're setting agendas. You're trying to figure out how to move an organization forward. So it's a wonderful experience. Um, I also started on the board of my curling club. Yeah, I curl. Um, okay, that's so cool. That was, that was another one. So, yeah, say if you get asked, say yes. Is curling a recent hobby? Or did you pick this up during the an Olympics binge? Or was this something you've done before? <laughs> so I did learn about curling in the Olympics. Uh, just like everyone else, I didn't understand 
how does the scoring work and why that rock looks like it's closer? Why, how, why they get two points? Uh, and then what is all the yelling and sweeping about? <laughs> and so I wanted to learn what all that was. So I just went out and did it. It turns out Lansing has a curling club. Uh, I did a little Googling once I decided to do it and, um, you know, just got engaged right away, started playing, got to play in national champ, um, for what we call ice arena teams. So what we call arena nationals. So it's fun. Do you throw the rocks or do you sweep? This is a really great question because everyone does everything. So okay. a curling team has four people, unless you're playing doubles, but that's we, not what we'll talk about here. We'll talk about standard curling. Um, everyone except for the captain, who's called a skip, um, does both. So you throw two rocks and then you sweep your team member's rocks. What does the captain do? They stand on the other end of the ice and help aim the shot, and they decide the strategy of the game. So... Um, Curling is often thought of as chess on ice, and so you're constantly trying to think through what move do we want to make, and then what will my opponent do then, and then what should I do when my opponent does that, uh, and trying to think two or three steps ahead. So they're really in charge of the strategy of that game. Where does where does the Lansing Curly Club play? Where's Suburban Ice in East Lansing? Yeah, oh, I've never okay. even heard of that. Is that the correct word? You play curling. What do you yeah. What do you do? You curl. You curl. It is a verb. It's a verb and a thing. It's a verb and a noun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are there people who are expert sweepers and expert throwers? Like, I'm, oh man. And, and do you alternate? Do you like have to switch? Or like, oh great, the, the bad sweeper's up. Or can you <laughs> can you pick who's going to sweep? We all have our strengths in anything, right? <laughs> and yes, there are members. I am not the best thrower, but I can really go after the sweeping. So I tend to play what we call front end, which are the first two positions, the lead or the second. Um, and so you throw kind of less complicated shots because there's less rocks in play and less stakes on the line as it gets later into the end, which is kind of what we call an inning. Um, that's when things get a little bit more, you know, high intensity. So, um, yep, I throw my two rocks and I sweep everyone else's rocks and I go for it. It's a good workout. How often do you do this? How many other people do it around here? <laughs> when does it happen? Like, I think this is the most interesting thing to me. Like, I, I, <laughs> I would go We've do this. Buried. Let's start over. Okay, start from the top. We're Are you recruiting? That's what Joe wants to <laughs> So, yeah. So, the website is lansingcurls.org in case you, you want to see what our events are. Uh, you know, just like every other organization, I think, that struggled through the last two years, I think just getting back into the, the cycle of curling um, is happening actually right about now. Um, so, oh, this is a good time for you to get engaged if it's not something that you're uh, have done before. We're a smaller club. We only have, you know, it's, as far as active members, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20, but would love to grow. You need to be nice, Joe. Yeah. It's, a small, Make some it's friends. a small crowd, small group. <laughs> but Joe needs a Joe. You're you're looking for hobbies. This would be good. You can report back. We can have a hobby, a a, a, a curling. I'd go do update. it. I'd go try. Do it. your teammates know you're the treasurer? Yes. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> are you the treasurer of the club? I was. Do you have? <laughs> to, does everyone just assume? Oh, you'll be the treasurer. <laughs> Yes, I was. Uh, well, and it, you know, so you mentioned, you asked me before, when did I start? I started in 20, I think 14. Um, so b before I was either a commissioner or a treasurer. And so, and, you know, these are friends that I've had and they've kind of been along with me in my professional career and they get kind of a kick out of it. But yes, I was just the, the treasurer of the curling club. And when they asked me to be state treasurer, I was like, well, I have treasure experience. <laughs> <laughs> curling club treasure. Collect the pizza money. Every I found that with most, yeah. most clubs, like if you can demonstrate, you know what an Excel spreadsheet is, someone says, oh, you got to be treasurer. You, <laughs> well, you've, you've got it. Funny that you should say that because when I first joined, you know, they sent out a fundraising appeal saying, oh, we're short on money this month and would you please donate? And I was like, there's something wrong here. Let me look at their books. So I asked to see their books and they just 
looked at me like books what are books <laughs> so I jumped in got them all organized and yeah so they definitely you know I was able to lend that that experience to the club so how many hours a day do you spend in excel you know, not as much as I used to. Um, in this role that I'm in currently, it's just it's a it's a different role than when I was actually you know kind of working on financings or doing even even my role at the Public Service Commission, um, where I was doing a lot more analysis. You know, this is it's primarily a managerial function. You know, it's a combination of um, you know checking in with our business area, seeing how things are doing, interacting with stakeholders. You know, so being the external face of the department. And, you know, just trying to make sure everything's running smoothly. So really, at this point, I'm doing very little in Excel. I, I don't like to get rusty on it, because if you get rusty on Excel, it's really hard to remember, you know, all of your formulas and how to make the macros work. So I try every now and then to, like, get in there and just stay current. Um, but, you know, not nearly as much as what I was doing. So Jeff Guilfoyle does all the Excel. <laughs> he, he still does quite a bit of Excel. Okay. Yes, our chief deputy <laughs> treasurer at, at um, a treasury he does quite a bit, but even he probably does less than what he would do not in this role because he also has quite a bit of managerial responsibilities. I think if we got to, to peek at the, the curling club's books, we'd see like this Excel spreadsheet that is just this like I got to get my practice in on Excel. I'll, 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 I'll work it on the curly, the curling money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is the first when people find out that you're the state treasurer? Like if you meet a stranger and you tell them that you're the state treasurer, what is usually the first reaction that they give you? Um, well, I don't actually have that opportunity very often um, to, to do that. But I think most people don't really know what the treasurer is or does. I think a lot of times they assume it's the budget side of things. So things that like state budget office does or Director Harkins does, they'll say, well, how's the budget going? Or, you know, are we going to be able to get, you know, these dollars for this particular project that we're working on? Um, and just saying, OK, well, you know, that's really important function, a financial function, but it's just not Treasury. Um, I think there's just kind of very little understanding of the department and what it does, even though, you know, we get plenty of interactions with, you know, the majority of Michiganders and, on an annual basis. I've heard that you're a Peloton writer. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I, that's... Your favorite coach? Well, I hate, to, I hate to be cliche because I think he got crowned the king of the pandemic, but Cody Rigsby is definitely my, my favorite People instructor. Like yeah, you know, it's not so much the traditional, you know, coach, yeah, yeah, go, go type mantra. It's more, you know, talking about the drama that happened within the Backstreet Boys or, <laughs> um, you know, what is Britney Spears' sister doing today? And so that keeps it, you know, that keeps you from thinking about what you're doing. I'm not a huge fan of, of exercise. So anything that distracts me from what I'm doing is a, is a benefit. I was telling them earlier that if I if I ever need to get my 90s pop fix of Britney Spears or the Backstreet Boys, that, that is Cody is the place to go. That is the, is the place to go. So... You grew up in East Lansing. I know I'm totally switching topics here. Yeah. You graduated from East Lansing. You live in East Lansing, but you went to U of M. What is that like? <laughs> so uh, I recently got invited back to Thanksgiving with my family. So that was a, a, a big thing. You know, um, I, I have no issues with Michigan State. I actually still like Michigan State. My husband works at Michigan State. You know, both my parents went to Michigan State. It's a wonderful community, uh, and I can't really imagine living anywhere else. But when you grow up in, uh, I maybe this is the, the way with many college towns, smaller college towns, you kind of feel like you already had that experience. 
Um, and I really, as far as my own growth, and I knew I needed to tr- do something different and try something different. Um, at, you know, U of M is a nice kind of low risk way to do that. It's an hour away from home. It's not too far. You still probably know a person or two um, that's coming down there as well. And uh, for what I knew, I kind of, I mean, you know, besides being pre-med, I also knew I had a an interest in, you know, economics. Um, and I knew that that was a school that really excelled at that. So it was a kind of an easy choice. I think once I knew that, um, I just needed to grow and get away from, from home to leave the nest. (laughs) That's how I feel about Western. I grew up in the Kalamazoo area and both my parents went to Western and I was like, I need to leave. I'm getting out. (laughs) Everyone I know goes to Western. So I came to MSU. (laughs) Nobody wants to be a townie. No. No. Yeah. Gotta Gotta switch it up. Spread your wings. (laughs) Yep. Go that one hour away and <laughs> really, really try mix, something really new. Mix it up. Yeah. But it does feel completely different. You have to learn a new town and yeah. it's it's I think a good growth growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Well, and it probably contributed greatly to what you're doing. Not only the fir- the first woman treasurer for the state of Michigan. I'm guessing youngest? No. Really? Um I it, you know I've been asked that question before, and I think, so we have a wall in treasury with all of the treasures on there, and it goes back to the first one. I mean, you know, there's guys in there from the 1800s looking like they're wearing Civil War battlefield <laughs> uniforms oh on gosh. there. Um, and so you can kind of, you know, get a good sense of, who, and who knows, I don't know, maybe the one wearing the Civil War battle uniform was actually 17 or something, just looked 50. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, you know, I think... Um, my guess would be Treasurer Bowman from the 80s, who was okay. Treasurer Blanchard's, um, I'm sorry, Governor Blanchard's treasurer, was probably in his mid-20s when he was oh, really? appointed wow. state treasurer. I remember, oh. I mean, that was before my time, but I definitely remember him being like this financial whiz kid rock star. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I appreciate so much you taking the time. Rachel Eubanks, the state yeah. treasurer of the state of Michigan on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. You can, you can tell Mr. Harkins next time you see him that you've, you've got one up on him here. So <laughs> he wasn't a real guest. He just filled in. So it was good. You're, you're, you're the real thing, though. But thank you so much for us. <laughs> thank you. It was fun. So, okay. So we are back. We're back. Are we we're back. We're recording. We're back. Okay. Yeah, we're back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the state treasurer has left the studio. Now the fun begins because Laura has traffic instance. She was late today. Come on, Laura. What's Laura. the deal? You got I pulled was, over. I was how many late. laws did you break? I, she didn't tell me exactly how many laws I broke, but she said she pulled me over for multiple reasons. <gasps> and... I I stayed very calm for the record. I'm very proud of myself. But I w- for the record I was never speeding and she cl- clarified that. But my speed was varying between 40 and 46 she said or something like that. It's not against the law to not speed, right? She she asked me if I was on my phone or not paying attention. And I said, well, I wasn't on my phone, but I guess I've got a lot on my mind. I'm trying to get to work. And I was a little flustered. And she also told me that our hang tags 
for our parking, you know, thing are not allowed to be hung up there. And that is a, I can't remember off. What? Yeah. She's just looking for a reason. And I go, I go, this is for my, it's literally got a hang thing on it. It's, it's for work. And she said, well, you can't have it up there when you're driving. It's, it's a, God, I can't remember the word right now. I don't think any of that's illegal. Oh, I mean, unless but, she, but thought, the unless she thing, thought you were like swerving or doing like... I wasn't was... swerving. The The main thing, though, is I was driving in the left lane the whole time. On, she, what, on what road? I, I was on Old 27 um, in DeWitt. So a four lane, you know, two yes. lanes on one side and two <clears throat> lanes on the other with the... Were you impeding passing traffic? No. I thought that you only had to do that on the highway. That I did too. Yeah. No. So I was really, con- and I didn't fight her because I, I do not argue with police officers, but she said, you cannot stay in the left lane with no intention to be turning for a long period of time that you need to move over. That is not That's true. not even true. That, well, oh my God. Thank you guys. I, I hate to take the police, the side of the oh, police. Oh no, Nick. Nick always does this. Technically, she's right. It doesn't mean she's right morally or ethically. These are stupid things that they shouldn't pull you over for. But like, regular roads don't have like from here to the Lansing Mall, and I'm going down Saginaw, and I can't be in the left. Everyone's in the left. Everybody does that all the time. There's two lanes. You go in whichever one you want. Do that on the highway. The left lane is for passing or for turning. I thought that was just on the highway. It's not just on the highway. And also, highways have signs that are like. Stay right unless you're passing. They don't have those on every single road. No, thank you. Because you're supposed to know it when you take your driver's test. Well, also, that was a long time We're not ago. supposed yeah, to hang those stupid that? things because I, I just do whatever. Like even like the tassels. You remember when you graduate from? Right, I remember like, that, but that's like tassel. hanging like, down. I know. Yeah, people do that all the time. I'm not too. defending them. It's Nick, stupid. What the I'm hell, saying Nick? technically. <laughs> Sounds like, like you are. Why I love would... how Nick drops in the test. Also, so we're going to go back to like the history <laughs> test. Remember, <laughs> you don't remember from your you test. You like that test. <laughs> I, got I mean, it's been a little while since I was 16, but I was a little bit flabbergasted. Those are all yes. stupid reasons. Well, well, at least you didn't get a reasons. ticket. Yeah. If you had gotten a ticket for any of those things, that would have been ridiculous. Um. And was and was very nice, but she was not very nice because no, she it, she was she wasn't like she was she wasn't bored. rude. Was she wearing a gun? I mean, it didn't look. <laughs> was she wearing? A, she was wearing a gun. So she when they turn on their flashers, oh, no. when they turn on their flashers, they're using the 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 threat of lethal force to force you to turn to pull over. So you can't ever say that a police officer that pulls you over was very nice. Because they didn't just do it out of charity. Okay, and you didn't just pull over out of charity. There was an implicit Touché. threat. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. I guess I think we should talk about curling. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I would say to that that I have in the past been pulled over by officers who've been very rude to me. And even though she was telling me I was doing several things wrong, apparently she was not as she was not rude compared to things I've experienced. Maybe she was just practicing pulling people over. She's like, I need to practice. The end of the month. And I know this is quota time. I I just need to talk to somebody. Does she seem nervous? Like she was brand new. She didn't seem nervous. She probably does all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Gaslights people into. I mean, there's apparently there's nothing else to do in DeWitt Township. So she was hoping she'd find a phone in your hand. She was looking for a reason to write you a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of like, no, I'm not on my phone. But then, I mean, she didn't pull me over because of the hang tag, you know. Then she saw it and was like, oh, and there's a hang tag there. You so know? the city of Lansing is issuing us illegal yes. hang tags? Should we call Andy? Like, should we do something about we, that? We should check into that. Yeah, this is a problem. 
Yeah, I mean, if I would have gotten a ticket, I would have been like, Andy, this is a problem. <laughs> well, he was to take it up with DeWitt. <laughs> I hate True. that thing. I take it off anyway. I don't hang it. I well, apparently you're yeah, not supposed really? to hang it. And you know it. why? Because I can't see. When it's hanging from my yeah. mirror, I can't well, see. That's well, that's why it's legal. Matt, you're proving the officer's I point. Know. That's right. <laughs> Matt and Nick huge. are clearly on the other side of the blue line. I know. We are. Moral so, yeah. of the story. God bless America. I didn't know. <laughs> Freedom. Now I know. And now we all know. Be careful if you stay in the left lane for too long, even if you're not speeding and no one is behind you trying to get by. So stay happy Wednesday, old, everyone. Old, stay off old 127. And watch out for Laura because she's clearly. What if I have to go to the hot house? I mean, there's only one way to get there. That is the most disgusting place in (laughs) the If you want to go where? The hot house. It's like that hot tub place. Exactly. I can't believe it's still open. It's always full. Let's let's figure out who runs the hot tub house and get them on the podcast. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be great that to tell them that we Laura, think their business next time is you're disgusting. swerving up the road, you stop at the hot tub house. <laughs> get a num- get a number. We'll have them on. I want to thank uh, Rachel Eubanks, state treasurer, for being our guest today on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, we'll get back to you on on what down with Laura and her uh, her, her rap sheet that she's building. Um, <coughs> <laughs> For uh, Carly, Anna, Laura, Nikki, Nick, Joe, and Matt. It's been the Cold Open Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.